Hello and thank you for joining us for our Pulse and Foursquare podcast. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins and I appreciate you tuning us in today that God may speak to you through his word and the Holy Spirit may minister to you through the messages that are brought forth, that you'll be blessed and we pray that you will continue to listen to our podcast and we pray that you would have a blessed day. God bless you all. Good morning and welcome to our Pulse and Foursquare online service again today. I've been going through the Gospel of Mark in our Preparing the Way of the Lord series. And today we're going to continue on in chapter 10. This will be about the third week we've been in chapter 10. I want to talk about the story of the rich young ruler or the rich young man in other translations as it's, and his response to Jesus. His response to Jesus, um, and really it's all a matter of the heart. As we read this, I hope that the Lord will speak to you in some way through this passage today where your heart may be also, and really it requires a trust and a surrender to God. Really about following Jesus is always going to be about a heart issue and a fully surrendered one to Jesus. And so that's really what this essence of this message is about is being fully surrendered to the Lord. So if you have a Bible, turn there to Mark chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 17, reading down to verse 31. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commands, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, and do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. And I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age in homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And Lord God, I just ask that as we read this, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us about our own devotion to you, of our own surrendered 
life of following you, Lord. That is what you ask of us. It's a really, it really boils down to a heart issue. And I pray, God, we can all hear you speak to us about our own life and following you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so again, as we're looking at this, we're looking at this story primarily about this, this rich young man coming to Jesus and asking him, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And he was fully, he was very passionate about. There's a couple things in this passage that you're probably going to see. And one is that uh, he falls at Jesus' feet. He's very passionate about it. And he asked Jesus the big question, the million-dollar question here. Uh, and the other interesting thing is how Jesus reacted to him. How Jesus reacted to him uh, was that he looked at him, and it says that he loved him. And some may read this passage and think that Jesus was um, rather harsh in his reaction to him, um, going, telling him he needed to go and sell everything. But really his response was that he looked to him and he loved him. It was of love that he was looking at not just the things that he did, but really the matter of his heart, where his heart was at. And he saw there was something that was keeping him from fully devoting or fully surrendering to him. And uh, it wasn't necessarily about being wealthy. It doesn't mean that if you have wealth, that is a a wrong thing that God doesn't want us to ever have wealth. That's not the crux of this message. That's not what this is about. Instead, it was always a heart issue that he couldn't fully let go of some things and surrender them to God. He could not do that. Um, and has there ever been things in your own life, perhaps, that you have a hard time letting go of? Material possessions, and there could be a variety of things that you have a hard time letting go of. Well, this is one thing that he could not let go of. He could not let go to fully dedicate himself to following Jesus because he had too much stuff or too much wealth. Um, and how do you respond? How have you responded when you feel the promptings of the Holy Spirit saying he wants us to go and do this or he wants you to give this or he wants you to go and do such and such? How have you responded? How have you done that uh, when he's asking you to trust him in something or put faith in him about something and letting go of something? Jesus sees who he is, this young man, to his core. And so he puts a finger on the fact that there's something critical missing in his life, missing in him to be able to fully dedicate himself fully to God, that is. And so Jesus offers himself in the place of this man's possessions. Basically saying, you can have me or you can have all this stuff. Um, however, in the end, this uh, blessed, if you will, this blessed wealthy young man uh, wants the blessing of this stuff more than he wants the blesser. The blesser is right in front of him, but he can't see that it is God, it is Jesus who has been the one all along that has been providing for him. And he couldn't let go of his possessions, and he missed the most important good thing of all, and that was standing right in front of him. The best gift that he could ever receive, the best thing he could ever have was right there in front of him, and he was missing it. When this young man fell at Jesus' feet, it says that he said, Good teacher, 
And what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus, you could say he ignored the question and he questions the compliment. And the compliment was good teacher. And he says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? And it's helpful to know that uh, in Bible times, in Jesus' day, uh, the only thing that anyone would ever describe as good in the sense was God himself. And so there was, there was a recognition of him being good. You are good. You are like God. So right from the beginning of the conversation, Jesus is apparently trying to get this young man's attention um, and get his eyes off of himself for a moment. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Only God is truly good, and he's truly the only uh, one true God. Nothing answers our deepest need in our life. Nothing will answer our deepest longing, our deepest need, and satisfy us without him. He is the one and only true good for our life and really for our eternity. Anything else in this world it will always be a substitute. It will always come up short because there's always a longing for more. There's never a satisfaction, and even our own sin desires are never satisfied because there's always a wanting more. I always need something more or a little bit more money or a little bit more possessions or this and that. Um, there's always going to be something more. Money and material possessions just happen to be some of the biggest roadblocks in uh, people fully dedicating themselves to Jesus, in many cases, that is. Now, in verse 21, it says, Jesus said to the young man, because of his love for him, not, not because of his disdain, not because of his uh, looking at the man and goes, oh, you know, you, you need to do such and such in a religious manner, but it says that he loved him. Yes, I want you to know me. I, I want you to be dedicated to me. I want that. Jesus wants that for everybody. But he said, looking at his heart, you lack one thing. Go and sell your possessions. Go and sell those things. That's keeping you from fully dedicating yourself to me. Then come follow me. And so Jesus knew that as good as this young man's life was on so many levels, he was missing the greatest good of all, and that was a genuine relationship with God. He was missing that. You know, he had been a religious boy all his life, a religious guy. I have kept all the commands. I've been doing the stuff to do this. But he knew that there was, even this young man knew there was something missing in his life. What must I do? And it was all about, in a sense, that about doing things. But he had not yet connected with the fact that he was missing the life connection, the love relationship with God Almighty. He was missing that part. It wasn't about doing that God wanted him, but there was a doing that he needed to do, and that was go sell your possessions because that's what's the doing part of your life and, and the earning those things and, and having that stuff in your life is what's keeping me from you and vice versa. So Jesus knew that. He could not fully dedicate himself to God. Um, and I wonder to what degree this young man um, knew and fully understand what understood what was at play here, what what it was going to take. I was he was one of the you, you might say he was one of the rare individuals in history that had a moment with Jesus face to face. 
face-to-face in that, in this direct opportunity with Jesus in person, and he walked away from Jesus, walked away from him. The opportunity was standing right in front of him, inviting him to come into this relationship to be one of his disciples. Then there would have been 13. <laughs> but, but rather than fully walk with, with God, he chose to hold on to the temporary, the earthly possessions, rather than and the money instead. And we don't know the rest of this story. That's the hard part about this. We don't know if he ever did. Did he later in life surrender to God? Uh, we don't know the answer to that. It says in Matthew 16, 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul or their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Did this young man gain the whole world yet forfeit his own soul for eternity? That part we don't know. We don't know where his soul is whether it's in heaven with the lord or spending eternity separated from god in hell we don't know is there anything blocking your way in fact from wholly devoting yourself to god is there anything you have difficulty letting go of that keeps you from walking in a uh, intimate or close relationship with god There could be a number of things, any number of things. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's that greed, always wanting more. And that's that's it for a lot of people. Greed is, and the the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. As we know in our world today, just looking at a lot of it is centered on greed. Maybe it's a job or maybe it's a title, or the security, or the prestige and power that br- it, that it brings. That you live up to this title, and it's just like, I can't get past that. I can't get past myself, that is. Uh, maybe it's a sport or recreation. I that That's your life. That's your dedication is to that sports. It becomes a an idol, a god in your life. Maybe it's a relationship or a family member that doesn't want you to follow Jesus. That sometimes family can keep us from following Jesus. Uh, we don't want to disappoint them. We don't want to hurt their feelings. So, okay, well, I won't. I won't do that. Maybe it's an addiction that you don't think that you can get rid of or that God can heal in your life. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's a grudge or unforgiveness that you're holding on to that you just cannot let go of that. And it's become a stronghold and a foothold of the enemy in your life. Maybe it's pride or thinking that you are better than everybody else or even a religious spirit like a Pharisee. Maybe fear is blocking you from ever being able to trust because you've been hurt before. Or it could be workaholism that you just uh, work yourself to death. You never have time to give to God. Um, You just burn out. You're Sometimes people, it's it's physical fitness. It's about their body. Everything's about their body and trying to make themselves look good. Or even the opposite is laziness. Not wanting to do anything but sit around and stay away from people. That's the opposite extreme, right? Is there anything you resist letting go of that keeps you from walking in that close relationship with God? 
that's what Jesus was seeing in this man. He said, he looked at his heart and he could see that his wealth was keeping him. But any of those other things that I just spoke about or listed could be similar in the sense that is keeping you from following Jesus. He knows where your heart is. I could go on, but I think you're getting the point. Hopefully you, you respond better than this young man. In this verse 22, it says, At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And the Greek word here is stignazo, which means his face fell, or in other meanings means that he could have had a, he could have just been shocked uh, by, by this comment, just in utter shock. Uh, it could be a gloomy look, uh, is what it means, just being like dumbfounded or appalled, or it could be even harboring ill will. It means that just ticked him off, like. It's kind of like saying, are you serious? Are you serious? And then just shaking your head and walking away. I cannot believe that he asked me that. What audacity, you know, that, that's kind of what it could mean that that guy did. And walked away in disgust. And I want to talk about the fir very first thing today um, is following Jesus is always a heart issue. It's always going to be, where is your heart? And Jesus spoke about this in the, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He, he talked about this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Matthew 6, verse 21, he said that. Uh, and this is why he also said a couple of verses before that, do not store up your treasures on earth where moth and vermin, or some translations say, rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up your treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Much of our life is spent for the temporary, for the things, the cars, the houses, the clothes, the things, food, and stuff that will never last for eternity. And it says in 1 Corinthians, it talks about wood, hay, and stubble. And someday these are all going to be burned up, all going to be gone. And what's going to be left? Only those things that really remain for eternity. And the things that really remain for eternity are those eternal treasures. What are those eternal treasures? And one of the primary eternal treasure is relationships. That's the only thing we can really take with us. And that is that one day we pray that we'll all be gathered together with the Lord in heaven for eternity. It's the, the things that are done in secret, the prayers, the service, the, the giving, the things that we do in secret that God sees that we do. That is storing up treasures in heaven. Where's your heart? God knows your heart. And often God's answers to your heart questions are quite simple. He looks right at your heart issue. We want things usually on our terms. We want to be in control. Uh, we often walk away from God with our face uh, fallen we dis when we discover God wants something different than what we want. Are you serious? You want me to give that up too? It's like, have you ever said that to God? Have you ever or felt that way? Maybe you felt that way. No, God, not that. This is particularly true when his instructions seem crazy, when they seem ridiculous. Um, in light of our present lifestyle and culture, the rich young man's culture saw him as being very blessed. 
He was very blessed and admired. And, and wealth was viewed as this sign or this clear sign that God was pleased with you, but the poor meant you were not. The poor meant that you do not have God's favor, that God is probably disgusted with you. Um, and this could, um, and so Jesus' disciples couldn't believe what Jesus was saying. And Jesus was amazed um, and was amazed at Jesus' challenge to this. The young man was amazed at this, along with the disciples we'll get to in a minute, to this um, challenge to his status. You, you're trying to challenge my status here. This My, my own self-sufficient lifestyle, the stuff I got, are you serious? Do you want me to put that aside? And apparently Jesus' disciples, they were shocked along with them in this. Secondly, is following Jesus always comes with a cost. Um, what cost is that? There's nothing casual about following Jesus. There's nothing casual about it. And sometimes people have mistaken that. Um, that just, just give me the easy three steps to do this. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they just want their... The, you know, their fire insurance, if you will. They just want a quick fix, you know, something easy. Give me the easy first, not the hard stuff. Uh, and so by definition, discipleship, what does it require? It always requires a leader and it always requires a follower. And as Christians, we are called to discipleship, to be the disciple first and then also to be a disciple maker. Uh, that's what Christians are are called to do, every single one of us, to be a disciple and to be a disciple maker of all nations. And making disciples is the supernatural outflow of being a disciple. It should be natural that we want to tell people about Jesus. We want to lead them to Jesus. And there's a cost of our own following Jesus, but guess what? There's also a cost to being one that is a disciple maker. It costs you, it costs you your time, it costs you your, your loving on someone and spending time with them. It costs a lot. And it might even cost you a little money once in a while to help them, to take them to coffee, to buy them breakfast, you know, stuff like that. It might cost something. Jesus spoke about the cost of following him. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus said, verses 26 and 27, if anyone does not hate his mother father and mother and children and brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Wow, those are pretty strong words. Verse 33, it says, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Read it yourself. <laughs> Read it in Luke chapter 14. Those are Jesus' own words. And hate in this, does that mean we're supposed to despise, we're supposed to hate and hold horrible grudges against our family members? I'm going to be a disciple, so I hate you now. No, that's not what he's saying. Um, he's saying there's nothing, absolutely nothing should stand in the way of our love and devotion but God first. He always must be first above even those we love the most, our family. And sometimes, like I said, family can keep us from following Jesus completely because we don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want to disappoint them. We, 
you know. And so Jesus is making a, a, a point in this that those things can keep you from following me. That's why he uses this uh, saying hate in that sense. And at this point in your life, would you call yourself a follower of Christ? Would you call yourself a disciple? If you choose to obey Jesus' call and follow him, what is it going to cost you? What does it cost you? Is there anything you might be holding you back from following Jesus completely? Is there anything? Uh, just ask. Just think about it. Is there anything that I'm not sure I am fully devoted to Jesus? Because you know what? I just, I don't know what it may be. Why did he say to hate father and mother, brothers and sisters, and your own life, and take up your cross? Because really, they knew what the cross meant. They knew what it meant. It meant death to death. Taking up a cross was not just a cute necklace. It was a cross that you would nail to, and you would suffer, and you would die. It meant death to to yourself. It means I'm not going to let anything stand in my way. No turning back. Not family, no nothing. I'm not turning back. I'm going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Why do we have to renounce all that we have to be his disciple? And and I've really learned because everything in this world, you know, you we could die today and not one of those things that we've lived for, that we've spent so much time, we can take with us. Not one thing except to be a disciple and to be a disciple maker. Disciple making does not require perfection. I No. <laughs> I, I, you might not be a teacher or the perfect disciple maker. It doesn't require that. But it does require a laying down of your life for Christ's sake. Disciple making does not mean it has to be complicated. Uh, it's just loving someone, just being a friend and talking about how Jesus has changed your life and telling your testimony with someone. We're all in the process of the growth and, and discipleship, but there has to be a willing heart to participate. That's what's required. We never really finish discipleship process. It's a lifelong uh, process. It's like raising a child. There comes a day when they are ready to be on their own, but the relationship doesn't end or it shouldn't end. You should still have a relationship with your kids, your, your adult children, until your dying day. As we grow, we seek out those uh, parents and mentors to help us gain wisdom and understanding. Just like I... I call my dad, I call my parent, you know, to try, talk to uh, people older than me so that I can continue to grow. I'm always seeking growth and, and trying to read or trying to go to trainings or various things because I'm always wanting to grow in my own relationship with God and discipleship. We never really finish that. Has anyone ever read any books by Diedrich Bonhoeffer? And I was thinking as I was preparing this message about a book that he wrote called The Cost of Discipleship. Um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian during World War II, and he published his book in 1937, The Cost of Discipleship, 
as an exposition on the Sermon on the Mount, on what he believed it meant to be a follower of Christ as he saw this church becoming increasingly secularized. And that was in 1937 when things should have been really good, right? Or people think of the olden days as being good. But later in 1937, he was sent to a concentration camp um, because of his opposition to the Nazi regime. And he was killed a couple years later, just less than one month before the Germans surrendered. But one of the most quoted parts of his book uh, deals with the distinction between cheap and costly grace. And he says this, he's quoted as saying, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Whew. Or baptism without discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, and grace without Jesus Christ. Costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and to a contrite heart. It's costly because it compels man to submit to the yoke of Christ and to follow him. And it is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is a cost to discipleship. A cost. There was a cost paid for the grace of God. Grace is not something that we have earned. It is a free gift of God, the gift of God's grace that you did not earn it by merit. And it should never be taken lightly. There is a cost to following Jesus, but the cost of non-discipleship is far, far greater. The cost is great for those in churches who are sitting comfortably in our churches under the banner of Christianity, but who never count the cost of following Jesus. There is a great cost, and unfortunately many professing Christians have this casual approach to Christianity that is leaving many on a destructive road to hell, and it is tragic, and it is eternally tragic. Jesus' disciples were shocked when he said this rich young man, um, or the rich cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven like a camel through the eye of a needle. They're like, what? What are you talking about? Then there's no hope for us being as poor as we are. There's no hope for us. The most blessed, they thought they were the most blessed by God. There's no hope for us if, they're, if they can't be saved. Who then can be saved, they said. And along with this belief that if you were rich, God was blessing you, there's also this notion that you were saved. And this is why the disciples were shocked. They thought the rich uh, cannot be saved. They were thinking they didn't have a chance. But Jesus answered them in verse 27, said, With man this is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. It's all a matter of your heart, and there is a cost that comes with it. This is when Peter says in verse 28 that we've left everything to follow you, okay? All right, we, 
Okay, you say that we have to leave everything good. We've left everything. We put down our nets, our fishing gear, and we are following you. And that's when Jesus acknowledges that no one who has left home or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecutions in the age to come and eternal life. Now, I suspect Peter responded much as most do. What more can I do? What more can I do? I have left everything to follow you. And that sounds pretty good, right? Up till the little hiccup in there, if you didn't catch that part, where he said persecutions. <laughs> and with them, persecutions. If you leave all these things, but along with it's going to come, persecutions. Oh, good. I'm sure Peter was thinking along with us, what's up with that? What's up with the persecution stuff? Persecution is not something any of us ever wants to face. Like Diedrich Bonhoeffer being put in a concentration camp. But you know what? Even in the concentration camp, he still used to write. He was writing up until his dying day. But to be a true follower of Jesus and to truly walk with him is to know that there will be times where you won't be accepted by all, where you'll be ridiculed, where you'll be made fun of, where there will be perhaps persecution. And I'm not just saying because you didn't get your favorite coffee creamer at church today. You know, I'm sorry we didn't have French vanilla. We only had hazelnut. I'm sorry, you know, but okay, that's not persecution. I'm just saying. Uh, but Jesus never hid this truth or tried to pull some kind of bait and switch. He's not doing that. He made it clear here. He did not. Uh, he did it in other contexts as well as um, in John chapter 15, verse 20. He said, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And I would say probably more time, more than any in my lifetime, in just the last year and a half, we've seen a major threat to Christianity globally like we have not seen in pretty much any of our lifetimes. Of the onslaught of the persecution of Christianity and trying to silence them and to shut down churches and shut down the right to freedom of religion and freedom of speech. That is why we must pray. But also the fact to realize that that will happen. It may not have ever happened like it has, but we have to realize that they persecuted Jesus. They will persecute us. They hate him and what Christians represent. They hate the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel is foolishness, it says, to those who are perishing in Romans. It says that. It's foolishness. They don't understand it. They hate it. Or 1 Corinthians, rather. So not everyone, in fact, very few, like the idea of being completely dependent on God. And this goes against uh, whole cultures as well as individual people. When we truly walk with Jesus, we will encounter pushback, and even in our own free nation, that is, people don't generally want their own sense of con to lose their own sense of control. And uh, they don't want our things challenged. 
They don't want that. But so Jesus has given us a fair warning, even when we're walking closely with him in this earthly life, we're still going to face problems. I hope you know that. I would never say that following Jesus is easy. It's not always easy, uh, but I'd rather have Jesus than, than the things of this world and not have any hope either. We still will face persecutions, but even so, his promise still stands that we will receive a hundred times more in the present time and in the age to come. And it says this in like Psalm 84, verse 10 through 11. It says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I hope that's true for you. I would rather, it says, be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And we've just learned from this story is that walking blamelessly is not just keeping a set of rules. That's not what blamelessly means. The rich young ruler or man tried that already and apparently not very well. He still missed the heart of God and having a genuine relationship with him. He missed that part. Following Jesus is about trusting and surrendering to God in everything. It's about recognizing your need. You still have need. The, the problem with rich, the wealthy, is that they don't recognize their need. I don't have any needs. I have everything that I need. You know, I have money. I can go buy whatever I want. And whether it's whether you're wealthy or not, that you still recognize that you still have needs. Money cannot buy everything. It will never be able to buy everything. It certainly can't buy happiness. It might be temporary happiness or enjoyment, but it won't satisfy. Following Jesus is about trusting. It's about surrendering to God. It's about recognizing that need and desire for him in every aspect of your life and trusting him to love you and to guide you and to provide for you, care for you, and, and so much more. And when we come to him like that, he works in our lives to make us everything that he has created you to be. And when we come to Jesus, he changes us. And that's not just a one-time deal. It's daily that he will change you. In verse 31, lastly, in that passage we read, it says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, right before this story of the rich young man, Jesus was talking about having the children come unto him and don't let don't hinder them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I talked about that last week. Children are viewed as a nuisance and, uh, you know, keep away, just should be seen and not heard, so to speak. And and they were on the bottom of the society food chain, so to speak, um, as well as the poor. But the rich were seen as the first. You know, they were the top, top of the totem pole. And Jesus came along and said, let the children come to me. And those who are last, those who are last in society will be first. Those who respond to God with that eager abandonment and humility like a child. And those who know they need him and want him, and those who will be, those are the ones that will be first in his kingdom. Because they recognize whether your status, your socioeconomic status or not, doesn't matter. That you recognize I have needs every single day. 
I need God in my life. Not just based on my bank account or my portfolio. There is a cost to following Jesus. And the ultimate cost has been paid for through Jesus. The cost for us is to trust in him and to follow his leading. And if we are not being led by him, what are we being led by? What are you being led by? Because we will all follow something. You're a slave of righteousness or a slave to sin. The sacrifice, the reward is always greater than the sacrifice. And the sacrifices you make for God and others, God will always bless those things. He'll always bless that. The first will be last. Or the last will be first, excuse me. And so I just want to close today. Maybe the Lord's spoken to you where your heart is. Maybe God is saying that, are you able to let go of some things um, that's keeping you from me, You're taking all your attention, taking all your attention that you cannot fully commit yourself to me. That maybe it's those things that you're holding on to too tightly. I can't let go of this. It could be your wallet. Could be your bank account that he's talking about with this young man. Um, money is a big issue in people's lives. And I challenge anyone just to be free. If you free from that, letting God have it, let him God have ownership of all that you have. He already owns it all, but it's just a, uh, it's just a recognition. God, you own this car. You own this house. You own this stuff that belongs to you. If you ask me to give it, I will give it. I will let it go. Whatever the God might be speaking to you about through this, let him just minister to you. Let him just show you as he did the young man, he looked down him and he loved him. Because this is all based on not just condemnation and judgment. I hope that's not what you heard today. You need to do this and you need to do that. This was Jesus looked at this young man and he loved him and he saw this is the heart thing. This is the very thing that's keeping you from me. And I hope that in some way, God is showing you in love what he wants you to surrender to him and to trust him. What is that? And so God, we do we ask that in love, we would be able to hear you speaking to us. Lord, are we fully devoted to you? Are we fully surrendered? Can I completely trust in you? And, and you say you can trust in me. You can trust in me. I will provide everything that you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about tomorrow. It has enough worries of its own, but can we be fully devoted to you and surrender to you like you did ask this young man? Lord, you're asking of us, any, anyone here today, and if, if we just even, the cost of discipleship requires a death to myself. And I know that the cost requires a repentant and a contrite and a humble heart. Lord, I want to be humble before you. I want to be surrendered to you. I want to be repentant before you. Not hold any pride or anything in the way that stands in the way of my relationship with you, God. But I want to have a contrite, I want to have a humble and teachable heart that says, God, there's always something every day I can learn from you. I want to be your disciple. 
and I want to be a disciple maker. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me, Lord, that I may walk wholly devoted to you, Lord. And if there's anyone here today that is even making that first-time decision to follow Jesus, today is the day to call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. It is really that simple. It's simple in in the decision of being converted, but then comes the discipleship that you count the cost of following him. That part may not always be easy, but the eternal reward is to spend eternity with God forever and ever, where moth and rust doesn't destroy. Anyway, God bless you. Have a wonderful week, and uh, thank you for watching, and we pray that you'll have a blessed and awesome day today. Amen. Hey guys, Billy here. I'm the media director here at Polson Foursquare, and I'm glad that you guys could join us this morning. If you guys are looking for more information, you guys can go to polsonfoursquare.org. And if you guys enjoyed the sermon, consider subscribing or sharing it with a friend. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we hope that you have a blessed week.